This is Heather Vickery with the Brave Files podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 105, Game of Thrones. Chris McBrien here, along with Derek Myers. As always, as Pop Goes Your World, you're going to find me at C. McBrien on Twitter, and you'll find Derek at Amaron underscore DM. And the website, of course, is popgoesyourworld.com. You'll find all of our contact information there. Make sure you reach out to us. Uh, Derek, before we get started, anything new, exciting you want to mention before we bring our guest in and start talking about the show? Um, sure. A couple of things that I was uh, watching this week. Uh, I mean, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, uh, my Boston Bruins are in the uh, hockey finals for the Stanley Cup playoffs. So all that's they been, are. Uh, all consuming for me this week. They're series tied at 1-1. Go Bruins. Um, but uh, in between hockey games, I managed to watch a couple of things. I watched on Turner Classic Movies, the animated film Watership Down. Oh, wow. That's like from the 70s or something, isn't it? I think, yeah, I think it said the book was in the early 70s. The movies were like 78 or 79. I remember seeing it, vague, vaguely remember seeing it as a kid. I watched it again this week. I really enjoyed it. I felt it really held up. And then uh, just today I was watching on Netflix a documentary called The Perfect Bid about a guy who goes on The Price is Right. I, I'm not quite done. I have about 20 oh, minutes. Oh, I'm not going to ruin it. I was trying anything. to squeeze it in before we recorded this. But uh, like three of my friends emailed me and texted me and said, you have to watch this. I was like, I will, I will. It's really good. I really enjoyed it. I'm shocked because, yeah, I, I was flipping around one night and I saw it. And I was like, oh, what's this is about game shows. I love game shows, you know that, and it was so. I'm like, oh, I watch it. I like that. Yeah, watch it to the end, and we'll we'll mention it on a on a future show for sure. I, I speaking basically, of, speaking yeah. of, sorry, uh, speaking of game shows, that was another thing I watched. There was a documentary on. Unfortunately, I can't think of the name of it, but I'll look it up before the end of the show. And it was about the history of game show hosts. It oh, was that would be kind of good. To our documentary, and it was focusing on hosts and the host's role of the in the show and how the host would help shape the show or how in some cases the show was more important than the host. And Alex Trebek was the like the narrator and and the host of the documentary. And they they interviewed a lot of former game show hosts, current game show hosts, and uh, it was really good. I mean, Chris, you and I both really, really love game shows. Oh, absolutely. And this thing started it, like it was literally a, a let's start with the very first game shows they ever did in black and white live television right up to some of the the more modern game shows that are on TV today. Both the remakes of some of our favorites and some of the brand new ones that are on channels like the GSN Game Show Network. It was really, really good. I'll look up the title of it, but it, it was quite good. I think you'd enjoy it. You should take you should definitely try to find I'm, it. I'm sure that I would enjoy it. And I definitely like all that old stuff. But I do also sometimes like new stuff. And that includes our topic this week. We're talking about Game of Thrones. And who better to come on and talk Game of Thrones with us than the one and only Nathan Doc. And I had to reach out to Nate because we've been friends for years and he just loves Game of Thrones. So I reached out to him. Uh, you probably know Nathan from the Nasty Cast. He's also a very active over on fan tracks, basically from my my life in fantasy baseball. You know, which I left a few years ago, but uh, Nate and I became good friends in the fantasy baseball world. So I reached out to him and he agreed to come on. You're going to find him on Twitter at Nathan Dawkin. That's D-O-K-K-E-N, just like the 80s metal band, I always like to say. Uh, but uh, Nate, thanks a lot for joining us. How are you doing, my friend? It's been way too long. 
I know. I am wonderful. I thank you guys for having me on so much. I'm very excited. This is my, even more so probably than fantasy baseball, Game of Thrones is my favorite topic to uh, to talk about. So I'm extremely glad that you uh, provided me the opportunity to talk some Game of Thrones with you guys. Well, you know, we do share a couple things in common. Uh, fantasy baseball, obviously, and our love of pop culture in general. I've actually been on your show, The Nasty Cast, a couple times. The most recent time was about a year ago a little less than a year ago, and we were talking about fantasy baseball, of course, and then we spent the vast majority of the show talking about our favorite 80s horror movies. It was so awesome. So, Cave, we had to run down a top five list of our favorite horror movies from the 80s, and it was, oh, man, it was so much fun. If you get a chance, go and find it, the Nasty Cast. I don't know the episode number, but, oh, man, it was good. You can just Google it and find it. Um, and I included on there two Canadian horror movies in my list. One was Funeral Home, which was originally called Cries of the Night, came out in 1980, and I mentioned Prom Night as well, which was shot up here in Toronto. But, uh, oh man, that was a lot of fun. So I, like I say, when it came time to talk about Game of Thrones, I'm like, well, who else do we know that loves pop culture as much as we do? That's Nate. So uh, anyway, Nate, you just want to give a little plug to uh, some of the stuff that you got going on over at the Nasty Cast and Fantrax before we move on? Sure. Yeah, you can find my writing at Fantrax HQ, and you can also find links to both the podcasts I do. There's the Nasty Cast, and there's also Fantrax Dynasty Baseball. If you also play the Dynasty formats, then that would be the show for you. We talk about a lot more prospects over on that pod, but that's that's it. You can find everything I'm exclusively over at Fantrax HQ now. So that's where I spend all all of my free time when I'm not watching Game of Thrones over and over again. And Nathan, what part of the country are you from? Remind everybody. South Canada, also known yeah. as Bismarck, North Dakota. Yeah, North Dakota. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's actually, it's funny because I think uh, I used to travel into Minnesota for business years ago, and it was so funny. I'd, I'd land in Minneapolis, and, and I'd say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm from Canada. Oh, it must be nice coming down south here. I'm like, actually, I had to come north to get here. Yeah. <laughs> they don't realize, so they look, they look at a map, and you realize southern Ontario is like, the, the, the southern tip of southern Ontario aligns with uh, North California. And most people don't understand that. So, you know, like like there are parts of the United States that are north of Canada, believe it or not. Parts of Canada, anyway. But they just think of Canada as like Winnipeg. But uh, no, no, it's, it, it, you definitely are Canada South. Not just because of the accent, though, that's for sure. But uh, anyway, if you, guys, if you guys are ready, let's get started. I'm wearing a t-shirt that's Smokey and the Bandit. And yeah, let me give you an example. And as far as I'm concerned, they should have stopped making Star Wars movies in 1983. Was it a holiday wrap? <laughs> okay, well, you've obviously not been paying attention because it's... <laughs> it wasn't like the, the Black Negro League or... <laughs> it was not the Black Negro League. Ah, uh, whatever the f*** you want to say, go ahead and say oh. it. <laughs> Here's a group that'll see us. We're going to lose about 75% of our audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Game of Thrones. This is the, like the biggest, most epic, you know, show that's probably in the history of television at this point. And it just recently wrapped up. Calder quits after eight seasons and it wrapped up. Lots and lots to talk about this. I just want to start off by saying something. Oh, you know something else that I just, I, 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 I wanted to just tie in was this comes from the fantasy baseball world too. When I used to do my fantasy baseball podcast, uh, Dear Mr. Fantasy, we had a thing on there that was based on Game of Thrones. And at the time, I had not seen Game of Thrones. I'm a latecomer to Game of Thrones. I came in quite late. A couple of years into it, I heard all about it. I'm like, I got to watch this. So I went back and watched them all. And then I got caught up. And then much like everyone else, I watched the finale live, you know, a couple weeks ago. We had a thing on my fantasy baseball podcast where we, if, if a pitcher went three innings or less, 
and gave up six or more earned runs. Basically, like a really awful outing. It was a short outing. We named it after Peter Dinklage. We called it the Dinklage. It's a Dinklage. The Dinklage. <laughs> so, so I wanted to bring that up. And it was before I even really knew much about Game of Thrones. You know, I just knew he was like the short guy on Game of Thrones. So it, it was short. And, 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 and he had like a tendency to be involved, involved in a very violent show. So I thought, well... You know, these outings are short and violent, so we named it after him. But uh, the thing that I wanted to mention about Game of Thrones to kick things off is, and I'm just going to be totally honest, I almost gave up on this show after the first three episodes. So I heard all this stuff about this show, and I was like, I got to watch this. This is great. So my wife and I got together, and we put it on. And after the first three episodes, I'm like, I don't think I can, I don't think I can do this. like, Like, the thing is, I, no big surprise, I like simple stuff. You know, I like watching Stripes and Meatballs like 200 million times. And the thing was, I really struggled with figuring out who everyone was and how they all intersected. Because the one thing with this show is they just put it all out there. Like they don't walk you, they don't take your hand and walk you through everything. They're just telling the story and they're just going from place to place to place. And... I couldn't figure out who was related to who and like what, you know, house that they came from. And I couldn't, well, why are these guys up north and these guys are down? So it was all really confusing to me. So my wife had an idea and she said, because she was struggling too. She's like, yeah, I'm really struggling to put, put the pieces together here. Who's that? Why is that person doing that? So she looked up on IMDB and got the synopsis of the episode. And then we would read the synopsis after we watched the episode. And then we were like, oh, that's who that is. Oh, and it really connected the dots for us. And then after that, I was good to go. But I just wanted to say, like, I don't know if anyone else had that same thing. Like, Nate, did, did you yeah, find they, it confusing out of the, right out of the gate or, or is it just me? Well, I, I, too, was a latecomer to the show and to the books. And I've, I've made my way through almost all of the books at this point. Watched the, the show several times front to back. But I didn't come into the show until season five. So I was a latecomer as well. And when I, the very first episode that I actually watched was Hard Home. And obviously, that's one of the best episodes of the show. So needless to say, I was sucked in right from the beginning. But, yeah, going back to the to the very you know watching it from the first episode they really don't hold your hand at all they uh, you they introduce you to king's landing there's a little graphic like every time they go to a new location once and that's it and there's all these crazy names too you've got you know jack and hagar and daenerys targaryen and you know all, all these names are pretty wild so it does take you a while to figure out what's going on uh, i remember being especially confused when uh, you know one of the smaller characters beric dondarian when the hound cuts him down uh in one episode i believe that was kissed by fire and then he comes back to life. I was so confused. I had no idea what was going on. I'm like, is this a different guy? It took me a while to figure out that, you know, he's coming, he's being brought back to life and all that. So I'm with you. I mean, and that's once, once you get it all down, then it really sucks you in and you, you get to find all the layers of this show. That's what makes it so good. So before I go over to Derek, I have a question for you. Did, if I'm hearing you correctly, you said that when you, for your first introduction to the show wasn't episode one, you came in a bit later and then you went back and watched them. Is that right? That's right. I um, That must I just, have been really confusing. <laughs> well, I mean, not really, just because 
Um, the, the first episode that I watched, like I said, it was Hard Home. I just caught the second half, basically, which was just all battle. And it's one of the cool, coolest battle scenes of the entire series. And I'm like, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> How has nobody twisted my arm? <laughs> made me watch this show before. So really, I had no idea who any of the characters are. Um, you know, I just there's a giant and there's like undead people and swords. And like, this is incredible. So I didn't get too much out of that episode itself. So just went back to episode one and, and pretty much binged it from there. So, um, yeah, I, I just, you know, it took me a while to grasp onto who's who and what everybody's motivations are and everything. But like I said, when once you get that down and you start uh, figuring out everybody's motivations and all the magic that's involved and there's just so, so much to talk about. I mean, it's incredible. So, Derek, both Nate and I didn't come in until about five seasons in. We kind of got caught up uh, in all the hype and then went and back and started watching it. What about you? When did you when were you first introduced to this show? So I didn't start watching them until they were putting out episodes of the third season. But I knew that I wanted to wait. So when the show first came out a lot, like I read a lot of fantasy fiction. That's like I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. And I've always fantasy's always been my favorite genre uh, of novel. Like I read tons and tons of fantasy novels, but I never read the Game of Thrones series. But I had heard a lot of great things from a lot of my friends for well since the book came out. And when they first announced they were going to make this show, my friends were telling me that oh well you know these books are a thousand pages long, and I think at the time there were four or four I think there were only four books at the time, and then the fifth book was just about to come out. And so they're like, you know, if this show's a hit, it could be on for a while and you may want to wait until they've got a little bit out um, so you can, you know, binge them, jump in like when there's already a lot to watch. And I knew I wanted to read the books before I saw the show. So, yeah, it was I think it was about season three. I think we're just finishing up season three of the show. And I, I finally sat down. I read the books over the course of a summer and uh, I enjoyed them a lot. And by the time I got to about book three, three i thought okay i I, i'm far enough in that i want to get a sense of what the show is all about so i watched the first couple of episodes really enjoyed them and then i forced myself to finish the books before going back and then i i binged seasons one two and three all in a row right as season three was ending and um and then from that point on i was watching them episode by episode and um i like you guys said it it does take some work to follow along with some of the stories, especially the characters that aren't front and center, like some of the supporting characters, uh, you don't necessarily realize how they're connected to some of the more pivotal characters in the story. And um, having read the books, that helped a little bit, but there are a lot of characters and a lot of subplots in the books that aren't in the show. So it sort of helped, but didn't help. Cause I was like, Oh, well, I remember this subplot about this character. And then that character doesn't appear in the show. So you're kind of confused about, well, are they not having that character or by the second season of the show, they weren't following the books. Exactly. So season one of the show is exactly the first book. It, it's because at the time, obviously they didn't know if they were going to get picked up. Right. They're like, right. We've got a commi- commitment from HBO. We're going to do one season, 10 episodes. The book's a thousand pages. We're going to turn this thousand pages into 10 episodes and let's see where we go from there. And they did. And it was a very, very faithful adaptation, only some very minor changes. Um, predominantly with the age of the characters, because in the book, all the Stark kids are much younger than they are on the show. And then starting in the second season, they sort of took plot elements from book two, book three, and, and sort of 
moved some of the stories around so the things that didn't appear until like the third book were appearing in episode in season two of the show so i was really glad that i had already read all the books by the time i got there because i realized that oh well they've sort of changed the order of events and they're spoiling things from a later book but if you don't have that context it doesn't matter it, it made for good television um but uh i in anticipation of this latest season, I went back right after Christmas and I rewatched the entire run of the show, starting with episode one, season one, uh, right after Christmas. It took me about a month to get through all of them because, uh, you know, they're great and I, I couldn't get enough of them. And I found this was now my second time through the run of the show and I had already read the books. And by that point, it made so much more sense. I understood, oh, that character at the wall is that character's father. Oh, and th this person is related to that person. And oh, that's her brother and her uncle. Oh, and like the pieces just fit together so much better having seen it once before. Uh, but obviously coming to it brand new, people don't have that context. So I can certainly see how new viewers are going to be lost. Like my brother just recently started watching them uh, from the very beginning. I think he's only watched the first season. And even when we were talking about it, he didn't know any of the names or he couldn't remember who was who. He's like, this guy with that thing who did that. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I could tell he wasn't able to connect the dots completely, but he liked it enough that he's like, I'm going to keep watching it. I'm like, great. So. so two things. Number one, Nate, I got a question for you. Do, have you read any of the books? Yes, I, I have. <clears throat> and this uh, I was going to bring this up, too, when Caveman was talking just now, because it actually confused me more because I had seen the show – um, you know, through the seventh season, front to back twice before I read any of the books. And so then <laughs> I read books one, two, three, and four. And when, you know, later on in the series, when the show really starts to diverge from the books, if I would go a couple days in between reading certain chapters, um, I would be confused because I'm like, no, this, you know, Littlefinger isn't over here. He's way over here with Arya. And so the storylines get a lot different. So it gets confusing in that regard. But um, I, yeah, I've uh, still enjoyed the books immensely. I'm just starting the fifth book now. I'm about 80 some pages in and uh, it's, uh, it's so good. I love it so much. And thankfully coming into the series a little bit late, it hasn't been a whole decade in between books. So I haven't had to sit through all that horror um, so hopefully we get the winds of winter sometime soon and we can enjoy the sixth book. Such an interesting phenomenon that you've got this television series that is taking place before the books are finished. Don't see that very yeah. often. That doesn't well, I think that him. was the intent. Right. No, I think no, no. their hope was that the, the book would be out by the time they were ready to finish the show. And I think just the reality is George R. R. Martin didn't finish the books. Right. For whatever reason. And you could the creative process could tell. I mean, season six was still pretty good, but you could get, you could tell once they got past sort of where season five ends is kind of where the books end. The dialogue takes a turn after that. Season six, I thought was still very good, but seven and eight, uh, you could tell they don't have the source material that they use for the first, you know, four or five seasons. So another question Absolutely. I have is is then do you think now, uh, having said what we've said and and how even Derek, you mentioned your brother. You know, started watching. I was like, "Who's this guy? And who's this guy?" Like, it seems like it's a very common theme for people to watch a show and get confused. I wonder if it's it's one of those shows that it's worth going back and rewatching for the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Nathan, yeah, I agree. It, this show is the most rewatchable show in the history of television uh, because, <laughs> wow. especially more than WKRP in Cincinnati. Right? <laughs> well, it's debatable, I suppose. Oh, man, but that's what is so. Uh, <laughs> Probably my favorite part about this show is just how much foreshadowing there is 
throughout everything. Um, oh, yeah. You know, even uh, after this final season ended, you know, somebody looked at the season one poster and saw a crow sitting on the throne with Ned Stark. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm still dubious of whether this is actually true or not. But maybe they had the foresight to be like, OK, Bran is, you know, if you add together Bran and the three eyed crow, then, yep. you know, you get your who's going to sit on the on the Iron Throne at the end of the show. Um, but they're, going back and rewatching. They basically tell you everything that's going to happen. There's so many prophecies that are involved in this show and so much foreshadowing. Every time I go back, there's so much detail and so many little things that I pick up every single time. I'm excited to go back and rewatch it for the fourth time now that the show has ended and pick up even more of those things that hint towards how the show finally concluded now. I want to see it. Season 2, Episode 10, there is a dream sequence where uh, Daenerys is like walking along and she basically walks into this big room and there's the iron throne and it seems like it's snowing and you realize now that it's ash. So right. I, yeah, that was, that was all over the internet there. Yeah. yeah. Um, after the, the second to last episode when, yeah. When so, so, I, so you might be right. Yeah. You might be right. A lot of foreshadowing right from, right from the beginning. Right. Um, so we obviously love the show. We, we all enjoy it. We think it's great. Uh, but there's been so, so much, criticism especially in this final eighth season like it just shocked me there's over a million people signed a petition that they wanted the writers to go back and rewrite the whole last season what the like these people have too much time on their hands i don't even have time to read these books <laughs> let alone to organize protests about them it's just crazy like i mean i just don't understand why you can't enjoy this is this this isn't even a tv show it's more like art like it, it, the last oh, that's chris that's that's what i was gonna say i saw online it was there was a quote. It was attributed to George R. R. Martin. I don't know if he actually said it. I'd be surprised if he did. But the, it was more or less uh, in response to all of this complaining. And it it was something along the lines of, "It's art. It's art is not a democracy. Like it's it it literally is. This is art. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. It's you know the whole thing with art is it's it's one person's expression. And and it's up it's up for interpretation, right? And and sure. and the reason why I say it's art because this isn't even like a TV series. The last season, every episode was like an hour and a half. Every episode is a freaking movie, and more better <laughs> produced, and better written, and better acted than most films that are in the theaters for crying out loud. So I don't understand where this criticism comes from. What did you guys think of the final season eight? I wonder with all this criticism because for me, I thought it was. Fantastic! I thought it was fantastic. Nate, what's your thoughts on season eight? I also enjoyed it a lot. And I, I'm, I'm glad that the criticism came up because you can't talk about season eight with all, without all the backlash that came with it. And unfortunately, I can honestly say that it's it affected my enjoyment of the last series because everybody is telling you that this is garbage and you're not supposed to like it when I like it. And uh, everybody's telling me I'm not supposed, you know, it kind of sucks away some of the fun of it. But I enjoyed it immensely. If there was any problem that I had is with episode four, that was a little, uh, a little sketchy. Maybe, you know, maybe some of the writing could have been better there. But you have to, God, how do I even focus all my words here? <laughs> all the different consternation, I think, comes from the fact that everything was rushed in the last two seasons. But you know that it's rushed. You know that they're compacting what's going to end up being according to George R. R. Martin, 3,000 words worth of book into 13 episodes. You know, whatever went into the decision to do 13 episodes instead of two normal 10-episode seasons, which they could have easily done, obviously, they're trying to compact that now into 13 episodes. And so 
a lot of the problems came from, you know, a lot of the motivations seem shoehorned. Everything is just so, you know, turn on a dime that, uh, like, especially when Daenerys, you know, kind of snaps and decides to burn King's Landing down, um, a lot of people felt kind of slapped in the face on that. And I, I mean, on one hand, I can kind of understand it just because two episodes ago she was fine and now she's, you know, burning all these innocent people down. Whereas that should have been probably, you know, there should have been at least three episodes of her having like intense discussions with, with Masande and with Tyrion and, you know, getting all of her motivations and, you know, seeing her turn and, and getting more of the reasoning behind that. Whereas the way that they did it almost seems like more of a snap judgment. But also, if you look at it the way that I do, it's actually genius the way that her character was molded because she's been set up for this the entire series. They've just uh, been masquerading her as a sympathetic character because of all the things that she's had to deal with, with the rape and her horrible brother and being the only Targaryen and all that kind of stuff. But really, her entire plot was just a revenge plot. But getting anyway, getting back to uh, to the season as a whole... The Long Night, maybe my favorite episode of the entire series. It's at least top five, and I thought they did a terrific job, especially with um, with the last episode and with uh, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. I thought it was the most beautiful episode of the entire series. And I could go on and on, but I'll cede the floor. So a couple things that you mentioned there uh, that I want to address. Um, you mentioned about Daenerys sort of turning. And the thing is, I've heard a lot of that criticism too. Oh, that came out of nowhere that she made this, this you know, turn and she went bad and stuff. I disagree. I've seen it since, I don't know, maybe season two. It seems to me that she has always been about power. And, 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 and she's gone on before saying, oh, I'm going to free the people and stuff. It's all about power. Even early on, she was like, bend the knee. You have to bend the knee. I didn't hear Jon Snow talking like that ever. He didn't go around saying, you got to bend the knee. She was always about power, 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 and getting power. So to me, it wasn't a surprise. I always kind of saw her as she should. And then like when they would talk about like, she's the queen, she's my queen. I'm like, why? She's just power hungry. That's all she is. I don't know. That's what I thought. She literally says, I will take what is mine by fire and blood. I mean... What more do you need? <laughs> exactly. And so there's that. And then the other thing is you mentioned something that kind of stuck out to me. And you said how a lot of people feel that it was rushed at the end. And and, and I disagree. And here's why I disagree on this is because coming into season eight, the last season, you got six episodes, right? And so I'm expecting each one of them to be like the biggest, most like, like action packed, you know, hour and a half in the history of television. And it wasn't. If you go back and watch the season or the last season, episode one and two, I was like, uh, nothing happened. The first episode in the season, I'm like, oh, nothing happens. Episode two, nothing really happened. Tell me a couple things that happened in those episodes. You know, it's, you're hard pressed. It wasn't until the third episode where they had that epic battle with the, the dead. Like, oh, that was just crazy. It was so unbelievable to watch. But the first couple episodes, I was like, they're dragging this out. So I didn't feel it was rushed at all. I felt like they were almost like, dragging their heels so i don't know uh derek what's your take on uh on the criticism that the uh the final season has had and, and even overall and just some of the things we mentioned with Daenerys and, and if it's rushed so i think my opinion sort of falls somewhere in between what's already been said be- with the two of you guys i i did enjoy it i did feel that it was rushed i think it was pretty apparent that the writers and producers of the show did not have the the 
incredibly rich source material of the novels to draw from. And I felt that that good point was it, it was pretty obvious when the book stopped and the TV show had to keep going on that they only had basically I, I, like from what I understand, they met with George R. R. Martin many times, especially at the start of the show. And he gave them the broad outline of here's where you have to get to by the end. And so they had the books up until a certain point, And then after that, all they had was, OK, we this is where we know it has to get to. But. They didn't have all of the little subplots that the book goes into, and I, I think that really was apparent in the show, and I think it hurt the show a little bit in, in that uh, things did feel a lot more rushed compared to what they were in the early seasons. Now, Chris, you pointed out, and I think rightly so, this last season, the first two episodes don't feel rushed at all, quite the opposite. They feel like it's it's this long, slow, drawn-out bit, and I had actually heard from a few different sources that those first two episodes were originally conceived of as one two-hour episode, but you know dollars and cents prevail. If it's if it shows over two weeks instead of over one week, that's potentially more money for everybody. So um, it was broken up into two episodes. Whether that was decided while they were still shooting it, or whether they had it in the can and then you know fixed it up, uh, whatever. Um, but I think by the end, they knew they had. X number of shows that could be X number of minutes. They have the actors for however many days, weeks, and months. They have a budget of whatever to get things done. And, you know, I, I think it came down to came down to that. Instead of spending more time to show us it, one of like I, I'm I'm a student of creative writing, and one of the things they always tell us is um, show me, don't tell me. And I felt that the last couple of episodes of this show they didn't do that as well as they had done up until that point. It wasn't the show me, don't tell me. It was they literally just, you know, just gave it to you. Boom, here it is. And it's like, yeah, it would have been nicer to sort of come to that understanding through exchanges of dialogue and through actions and through seeing the the, the performers sell these things to me. Instead, it was just A, B, C, D, done. So I can understand why the internet uh, and people on the internet are outraged, but you got to remember, like anything else, internet rage is usually a, a smaller uh, minority of the overall fan base. It's a very vocal uh, portion of the fan base, but it doesn't always reflect everybody. It just reflects those who can yell the loudest and type in all caps. So yeah, you're gonna have the, you're gonna have people that didn't like it. You're gonna have people who are very vocal about that, but. I think time will tell. I think people will continue to watch it. They will continue to rewatch it. And, you know, you look back to a show like Lost. It got a lot of flack for how it ended. But you still hear people talk about it, how, oh, you know, Lost is one of my all-time favorite shows. And I think you're going to hear that with Game of Thrones. People are going to say, oh, I love Game of Thrones. It's one of my all-time favorite shows. And, yeah, you might, uh, you might not have loved how it ended. You might have thought it ended a little too quickly. But I think for the most part, uh, the majority of fans are, are going to be satisfied with it. I, I have mentioned many times on this show about how I love certain movies and TV shows because of the characters that are in it. And I found the one thing about this show was it was really difficult to get to know and really like some of the characters because you did you never knew when they might get killed off. Like, like it was like, <laughs> unlike any other show, they had no qualms with just killing people off. Um, the only other show that comes to mind that I used to really like watching was Law and Order. And I remember in Law and Order, they would just, people would just come and go. And and, and it was all about the story and, and they'd kill characters off and stuff. I was like, whoa, what the, I didn't like that. But 
this this show really stood out, obviously, because it was hard to, you know, get too invested in some of the characters. Because for me, when I watched the first season, when I started watching it, and like Ned Stark, I'm like, okay, well, he's the lead guy. And I know that guy. He was in Lord of the Rings, that actor. So, okay, he's the lead guy. And all of a sudden they're going to cut his head off. And I'm like, no, they're not. This is, they're not doing this. And then even when they, they showed the scene, I thought, well, that didn't happen. And it wasn't until they showed his head on a spike that I was like, they did. They killed off the lead character in like six episodes. What the heck am I watching? And so I'm wondering with guy with you guys looking back as the show, as, as an overall kind of, you know, big epic thing, what were some of the characters that, uh, that stood out to you as some of your favorites? Uh, Derek, maybe we'll start with you. Any favorite characters? I got a couple, but uh, I'll come up with mine later. Well, I mean, uh, I think uh, it's fair to say that the fan favorites are certainly some of my favorites. Uh, I always loved Tyrion Lannister in both the books and the show. I like the fact that he was so pivotal, pivotal to so many of the the main main plots and main themes and main stories. Yet he wasn't a physically uh, violent character. Like he had this sharp mind and this sharp wit, and he was clever and he came up with ideas and he was able to see the flaws in the plot or he was able to put himself in the right place at the right time. Um, I think it was in late season one and early season two when Joffrey becomes the king and Tyrion's made the hand and. He like is literally slapping Joffrey in the face and he's like the only one who will stand up to this kid who is a brat. He's this terrible, vicious, cruel king and and Tyrion will stand up to him. And and, you know, I think that was that said a lot about this character is at that time you still weren't necessarily sure. Oh, is Tyrion going to be a good guy, a bad guy? Like, do we cheer for him? Do we not? His family is bad. But does he have like a good streak in him? Does he want the greater good? You never know. So uh, so that was part of it. And I think by extension of that, the character of Lord Varys, uh, Littlefinger – or pardon me, not Lord Varys, um, of Littlefinger rather, uh, Peter Baelish, same idea. It's like here you have this character that's a schemer. He, he's always looking for an angle. He's, he's not the guy who picks up a blade to fight people, but he tries to put himself in a position where he can manipulate people. And that to me with these kinds of stories, is that's always more interesting than the guy who just picks up a big sword and stabs people. It's like uh, I've seen that before in a hundred other movies. I've read about that in, in tons of other books, but it's these these schemers and manipulators and the people who are pulling the strings from behind the scenes and, and manipulating the larger story. Those are the characters that always appeal to me more. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Nate, any uh, uh, favorite characters from the show? Peter Dinklage, so by the way, such a good actor. God, he's a good actor. I just yeah, blown incredible. away by his performance. Just blown away. Yeah, well, one of my favorite scenes of that final episode too is when he comes upon you know Cersei and Jaime yeah. in the rubble. That was just very powerful, and yeah, he's done that the entire series. He's really carried carried the show, every episode that he's in. And I have I have so many favorite characters. I mean, the great Walder Frey. <laughs> just the oh yeah, <laughs> he's just so much fun. Um, I mean, all the bad characters are great. You know, everybody uh, loves to hate. Uh, old Joffrey Baratheon. I stood up and clapped the episode when he finally kicked the bucket. That was terrific. Um, but the characters really are the best part of this show, and there's so many terrific character arcs. Jamie Lannister had a terrific character arc, uh, but I, I think the Hound probably is my favorite character. Not only does he have so many incredible lines throughout the show, he's just so badass, but he's also, you know, he, he turns 
sort of into uh you know it's a great redemption arc he turns into sort of a a heroic character in the end and he completely changes Arya's opinion of him by the end of the show and that was a very touching moment as well at king's landing and um oh boy i could just i could go on and on with with so many great characters in this show but that's that's the best part of the series is the characters and the the redemption arcs and everything and there's no black and white with this show it's it's different shades of gray and that's what makes everything so great is there's all these conflicts and you can see no matter who it is you can see their motivation why they're making all these decisions uh what was the guy's name that was with jamie earlier in the series was braun and then he oh, braun yep I like that guy. I liked him. And I loved how at the very end, he was like at the table of the advisors who decide on like the direction of the realm. And they're talking about fresh water supply and how important that is and money reserves. And he's talking about how important it is to keep the brothels. Like I, that guy, he was a funny character. I always got a kick out of him. And Davos, I thought, I thought he had one of the best voices I have ever, ever heard. That guy should be doing like radio and voice work. I guess he's acting. So that's what his thing. But um, I also like he was um, on the council around the table at the end, too. <clears throat> and remember, he corrects the grammar, right? And he was the guy that was illiterate, remember? Mm-hmm. And he had to learn how to read and write. And he was, like, using kids' books, wasn't it? Like, Stannis' yeah. daughter. And then he used her books to learn. And then at the end, his character arc is such that he he corrects the grammar of the other smart people at the table. I thought that was great. And right from episode one, I remember in the first episode, watching with my wife, and maybe it was the first or the second episode. It was an early one anyway. And I said to my wife that Arya Stark was going to be a pivotal, pivotal character in the direction of this show. And I remember when the episode came when she killed the Night King. And my wife looks at me and goes, you said she was going to be important <laughs> in this. I said, I know there was just something about her that, uh, but uh, oh, there's so many, so many great characters. And, you know, something else you touched base on was there's so many surprises in this show too i when i was uh when I, I was on the phone with the the guy from um, my cable provider I, w- I was calling him about some issue and we're and, and he's like well we just gotta wait i'm just gonna get through to it while i'm waiting uh he's like are you gonna be watching the game of thrones finale tonight and i was like yeah yeah because this was right the night that was gonna air and and then i was saying to, he goes who do you think is gonna be you know the king who's gonna be in charge who's gonna get the throne and i, I said to him i said well you know because v- vegas has odds on everything as you know a fantasy baseball guy Nate, like Vegas has. I'm odds a Vegas that. guy. You, I actually, you, actually, you you go to Vegas every year, you know, too. Yep. And I actually looked up the lines before the end of this season, so I think I know where this is going. Yeah, and it was Bran. Bran was yep. the highest odds to, one. to get it, you know. And and I mentioned that to this guy when I was on the phone. He's like, "What? No way!" Um, but some of the surprises in this show, like I, I mentioned, Ned Stark earlier, but the other one was the Red Wedding. Like, I okay, so so Ned Stark dies, and I think the way that the story's going, that Rob Stark is. The guy, okay, he's gonna be the king. This is where this story's going, and he was so likable, and 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 he and he he had a lot of people's best interest at heart. And I'm like, oh, this is the guy. Well, at least you know the dad died, but this guy's gonna pick it up. And then the red wedding comes, and not only do they kill the mom, they kill him too. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? Like, like this show is unbelievable. Like, unbelievable. I have a question for you guys that just came to my mind in the last episode when when Daenerys goes you know, evil and starts burning King's landing to the ground. Do dragons ever run out of gas? <laughs> like it just kept going. And like, yeah. where does they get their fuel source from? I know it's a fantasy, but like at what point does this dragon, the, the, you can't blur any more fire out anymore. I don't understand. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's been a, uh, a nitpick on the internet. And, uh, 
Yeah, that, that's obviously that's the thing. Now, I'll tell you, as a Dungeons and Dragons yes, role-playing please. game person, yeah. in the game, the mechanic, again, boring for people who aren't interested, in the game, the dragons that breathe fire, if they breathe fire when it's their turn, on their next turn, you have to roll a normal six-sided dice, and if it comes up as a five or a six, they've got their, they've been recharged. The breath is good to go again. But if you roll a one, two, three, or four, it's basically recharging and it has to wait. So to your point, uh, in the show, it was just fire, 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 fire. But in, in like, for example, in this game, it's possible that they could do that, but it's statistically improbable that they would be able to do that. <laughs> just a side note from no, one nerd to the other that are listening. No, no, that's a good thing. Um, what about the the ending? Like in in the very last episode after everything happened, what's your guys' take on it? Because me personally, like I liked it. I really liked it a lot. I love the resolution at the end, and I for me, I felt things really wrapped up, really almost perfectly. Every member of the family got their own section of the world. Like Bran got the south, and Sansa got the north. John got like the far north, I guess. Arya got to set out and explore the new world. And and like I mentioned before, I love that council scene at the end when they're at the table with Brienne and Bronn and Sam, too, and especially when Sam says uh, just earlier to that scene, Sam is like, well, if it's going to be a king for everyone, shouldn't everyone have a say? He basically invents democracy and they all just laugh at him. And like, laugh laugh at him. Yeah. like I don't, I, his, he's another guy. I liked him a lot. So I, for me, I thought the ending was great. I liked the way that it resolved. And I thought. This, it ended the way I wanted it to. Like, I didn't know where it was going to go, but I, I liked the ending. I, for me, it was very satisfying. I know for a lot of people, it wasn't. Uh, Derek, what's your take on the ending? Like, were you happy with it? Was it a good resolution for you or no? I, I had some questions. Um, it's at the end, so we have uh, Daenerys gets stabbed by Jon Snow, and then the dragon takes her remains and flies away. And then they don't show us exactly what happens we can put the pieces together so essentially you got to assume gray worm and the army come into the throne room see what's happened and john snow being john snow immediately confesses the absolute truth of what happened mm -hmm. without any deception or or wordplay or or tap dancing around it to try and save his own skin he straight up says this is what i did this is why i did it i i put myself at your mercy and the millet and the, and the army arrests him they put him in prison but I'm thinking about it and I'm like, okay, but they're the military. They don't run the government at this point. The queen's been killed and yes, they are her quote unquote enforcers, but is it up to them to, to enforce this law? And that, I mean, then you go to that council scene where they say that they're like, well, if we pick a new King, the new King can decide what happens. And they say, oh, well, you know, uh, in order to satisfy the army, we have sent Jon Snow to take the black and go back to the wall. And I'm thinking, why do you have to satisfy the army? If you've declared a new king, chosen a new king, the army shouldn't have a say. You know, they that that's not how this has been set up, especially when they're the unsullied. Like they've gone on and on and on about how they're the best trained, they follow orders, they do what they're told. Uh, now, obviously, the progression of the Grey Worm character, he's he's learning new things, he's educated, he's becoming educated, he's he's becoming more free willed and less of that mindless soldier, but at the end of the day, he's still a soldier. And so I, I that sort of bugged me a little bit that they seem to still have so much power. Now, you know, they are an army and they're skilled fighters. So if they want to take power, there's only so much you can do to stop them. And I okay. get that as well. But given how this story has played out, that that sort of bugged me a little bit that 
that they seem to have so much influence over how some of these key events played out at the end. I was going to say, as far as choosing the king, you know, I, I got no issues with, with uh, Bran being the king, but uh, Tyrion was saying like, oh, we need someone with a story, with a good history. It's like there were five other people there that had a better story than than Bran. Good point, it's like, yeah. yeah and, good and point. Now, if they – and I think really they sort of missed the mark, and I think this is where the absence of George R. R. Martin's words hurt them a little bit. I get what he was going for with the idea of Bran as a three-eyed raven. It's not just his – personal story it's that he can recount every story and share what's happened and be the the book of record you know what do they say those who forget history are destined to repeat it mm-hmm. and by putting someone like Bran in a position of power while he's alive and you know he's not going to live forever well you assume he's not going to live forever although the three-eyed raven who knows is he can remind people he can be the educator he can he can teach those that come next and he can ensure that they learn from the mistakes that have been made so they don't repeat them. But that's not how it's presented. Tyrion talks about we need someone who has, you know, a great story carries great weight and we need someone with a great story. So I think it just needed to be a little clearer that it wasn't just his story. It was the collective story of everything he can see. So again, those are minor sort of nitpicks. I think overall, I, I was still pretty satisfied. With one, one thing that just came to my mind now, because like, like I said, I like the ending a lot. And I, But one, I guess, minor criticism I, or comment I would say that I have is when they picked Bran, you know, to become the king and Sansa steps up and says, well, Bran is a good choice because, you know, we will have to continue to keep picking a new king because Bran cannot have a child. She's basically getting up in front of everyone and saying, Bran's doesn't work. <laughs> like what the, what the hell was that like i was like what like oh, i don't know that, that just came to my mind that's an important fact <laughs> i guess i guess well Nate. chris doesn't your sister know all about how your junk works or doesn't work <laughs> exactly Jeez, i don't know <laughs> uh, but uh nate so what's your thought on uh, on how things wrapped up yeah i um i think that's some some great points by caveman i i like the way that everything wound up um but yeah the the way that they got there wasn't necessarily great yeah i think if they had just uh maybe punched that line up a little bit then it would have been more satisfying getting getting bran on the iron throne at the end even though there's no iron throne whatever into the position of power into the kingdom um but yeah my favorite scene you mentioned it chris was that small council scene that to so me good. like just gave yeah. me all the warm and fuzzies me that too. made the yeah. entire series yeah that made me the entire series worth it to me just seeing all our favorite characters now there in the small council it makes you feel like you're going back to episode one of like a whole new series and uh yeah i just i just love that so much and i also uh, i love and i hate the the way that john's storyline ended um i love it because it's so game of thrones it, it makes you sad like you want so much better for this character john wound up if you, for better or worse, he was my favorite character. You know, even before he was the focal point of the whole series, I just you know loved him from the get go. You know, be, because he's just he's honorable and it's he's honor and duty and he's just a good guy and all that stuff. It's hard not to like him. Um, so you want to see him with a better outcome, but at the same time, he's got ghost, he's got torment, and he's not in a position of power. You know, he didn't actually want those positions of power anyway. He just kind of accidentally kept falling into them. So maybe it's not such a bad outcome for him. It still feels a little cold, but um, yeah, so definitely they said that we were going to get a bittersweet ending. And I think that really exemplifies the way that John's character wrapped up. Yeah. I don't know. So Chris, I, yeah. One, sorry. One other thing I want to talk about just real quick is sure. 
Um, we were talking about what we liked. One of the things that I, I, I disliked was the fact, the way they handled Cersei in this last season. She was hardly in it at all. And when she was, she was in it for like a short scene at a time, usually standing at the window or sitting at a table. Drinking wine. And, yeah, and which was in keeping with her character. Yeah. But for all the shows of, of every season before this, they, they really established that she was the villain. And in the last season, you really I didn't feel it was a very satisfying conclusion to her story arc. You know, she made this grand plan about how, oh, I'm going to protect the city by putting all these innocents. There's no way she'll use her dragons to burn the city. Oh, my God, she's totally doing that. Uh, And then it's like, I'm going to flee. And then the buildings fall on me. And it's like, really? That just felt so unsatisfying. Like characters are killed off on this show left, right and center. And this just felt like a really cheap way out. Like, I, I fully expected that she would get killed. I honestly thought Jamie was going to kill her. Uh, I figured, you know, at the start of the season, Same, we, had a, yeah. we had a pool at work where you had to pick the death pool of who's going to die in what episode and then who's going to live by the end of the series. Uh, I ended up winning the pool, by the way. Um, <laughs> you, and, pick, you picked the rocks that would kill her? No, I, I didn't. But I did pick the correct episode in which Good. she would die. Although, through a technicality, we had in our pool at work that if a character is killed but – uh, you don't get a confirmation from another character that they are dead or you don't get to see the dead body that they're not officially dead. I lost points from Euron Greyjoy because they never actually showed his dead body. Oh, no. And so I had to actually split the money with another guy because that was that would have given me the outright win. And I at gotcha. the end of the day, I said to the other guy, I go, you know what? If this was reversed, I would have called you on the same technicality. So I had no problem splitting the pool with them. I still ended up ahead of the game, but anyway, yeah, I just I felt that the Cer- you know Cersei storyline, the way they wrapped it up, the way they ended it, just felt very unsatisfied. And I'm really looking forward to reading the books because I suspect it will be nothing like what happened on the show. Yeah, no, I think that was a good point. I, I even thought that too, the way that she died. I expected something more. Maybe Arya kills her or something like that, or maybe even Jamie, like you said. Um, but yeah, I expected more than just some rocks falling on. Guys, looking back on all the episodes, did any stand out as some of your favorites? What we think were some of the best episodes? I'll throw out some of mine. I I, I mentioned before Red the Red Wedding. Like it just I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe what I was watching. It just blew me away. And another episode that we haven't mentioned is the Battle of the Bastards. Man, oh man, was that good. Like, just, I couldn't believe. It was just, I couldn't believe this was television. This is like going to the movies. But I also like The Long Night. Nate, you mentioned it earlier. That, it just was just nonstop action. It was like one big battle scene, fighting all those dead. And then I, I actually liked the last episode, The Iron Throne. I thought it was really, really good. And so, you know, say what you will about the final season, you know, being, you know, quote unquote bad. Some people are criticizing it, but two of my favorite Four episodes were from the last year, so I thought the last year stood up. But, uh, Nate, any uh, favorite episodes that kind of stood out for you? <clears throat> yes, definitely. Um, yeah, The Long Night, oh, my God. That's so definitely good. <laughs> vaulted, definitely vaulted into at least my top five. Uh, just some of the imagery that I just, I just get chills every time I think about it is uh, two, two images in particular. One is just uh, Jorah and Ghost alongside the Dothraki with their flaming Aurochs and the flaming trebuchets, you know, overhead as they're just raging into battle. That's just incredible. And then also something that I, I can't, can't imagine is not going to be in the books, um, but when John is writing Drogon above everything and winter is, is coming, basically, you get to see him sprouting, you're shooting fire 
uh, among the undead and then like overhead uh, is basically winter coming you know just this giant storm cloud and just that that image is just so incredibly cool um i couldn't even you know imagine that in my brain reading it on george martin's page so <laughs> i was really glad that the show was able to give that to me but yeah the battle of the bastards and the winds of winter those two episodes back to back at the end of season six are just incredible i mean the winds of winter the first half hour of the show basically you lose you know what seems like half the cast because at the hands of cersei blowing up the sept it's just absolutely incredible and there's almost no dialogue just an incredible score which the score as well was a, a huge part of why i enjoyed the long night that was just such a good climax but i also have to one more episode that i have to uh, mention that we haven't yet is the door where hodor oh yeah you know, find out where he gets well, yeah, where he gets his name from. And my God, after that ended the first time, I just sat in my chair for 20 minutes dumbfounded. Like, this guy just spent his entire life saying Hodor because of this moment that Brad worked into him. Oh, man, that, that hit me hard. So those are definitely my favorite episodes. Very good. Very good. So overall, where does this show end up in history? Like, like, like among, you know, the greatest shows of all time, like... One, two, three. Where do you think, and Derek? Like, 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 where does it rank for you? Um, I would probably say it definitely falls in the top ten for me, but I'm thinking somewhere sort of around that five-ish range. And again, I think time will tell. It might, it might move up and down. Uh, I mean, I think the cop out, the quote unquote Chris McBride textbook answers when people ask you <laughs> what are the best shows ever, mm -hmm. the, the answers you WKRP in Cincinnati and Happy Days. Yep. <laughs> no, 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 I meant like. Serious dramas. Let's do it that way. Oh, okay. Uh, you, you, usually the answers you hear from just about everybody include The Wire, um, so The Sopranos, Breaking Bad. Like those generally – those three generally make everybody's top five. And usually one of those three usually lands at number one. Um, I think you're going to find Game of Thrones – will will creep into people's top fives but i think you're gonna you're gonna find it mostly lands around that four or five and i think that's probably about right for me too okay nate what's your thoughts on where game of thrones finishes in history um well if you ask me it's it's my favorite show of all time um that and breaking bad definitely you know derek like you mentioned um love that show i've seen that many times front to back as well in terms of yeah the general perception though uh, i could see where they would see things a lot differently than myself so i mean yeah it's it's hard not to i can't imagine the general consensus not having it in the top five just given that it's the most popular show ever really it's just such a phenomenon that even if you don't watch the show you know of it and you probably know some scenes of it whether you want to or not just because of what a phenomenon it is and so i think just just the fact that it's such a, a huge event that it will have seeped into everybody's minds and, and be in the top five for a very long time. Yeah. I'm not a big yeah, fan. I, I, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I think, I think the, the production values and the, the vast amounts of money that went into making the show and making it look so good. Like you said, this last season that, you know, those weren't episodes, those were movies. And I think consistently season to season, as the show became more popular and, and more money got thrown behind it, just the visual aspects of the show got so good that that in and of itself will ensure that this show holds up for a long time compared to many other shows and probably many other similar shows or copycat shows that come along after it. They're just not going to have the budget or the scope to, to compete with it. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of like recency bias. You know, I try to take that into, into account when I make my decisions, but I, I think it's probably 
a top five TV show. Like it's just so good because it's so different than anything else that came before it. It's just an epic show. You know, it every episode was almost like watching a movie. And when I look back at some of my favorite TV shows of all time, the aforementioned WKRP in Cincinnati and Happy Days and stuff like that, like you just couldn't imagine a TV show coming out that has like all of these things in it, like like the nudity and stuff. You know, not that you know that's. No, I mean, it's, it's worth that's watching. That's why you right? watch it. Yeah. Know, Chris. We're not <laughs> here to judge. Yeah, don't, don't judge me, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, like, just some of the elements, like, it's just so incredible. Like, I just can't believe it's a TV show. Like, it's, I don't know, it's just mind-boggling how it's almost, like, on its own level. This show is on, a, on its own level. And I was really blown away uh, back in 2004 when Lost came out. You mentioned it already, Derek. I really like Lost a lot. I really like that show because I'd never seen anything like it before. And... So I like those things that are so sort of new and just so different and different than anything else that's come before it. And and Lost was like that for me, and it would make my top five, and so would this. But they're the only two shows after, you know, the 80s that would. So that being said, time now to have some fun with Caveman. Okay, guys, I tell you what, I was, I was actually talking to my mom about this show, believe it or not. And my mom and my dad love Game of Thrones. And she made an interesting comment to me. She said... She said, if you if you ever told me that I'd be watching a show with dragons in it, I'd say, you, you know, you were crazy. But she loves this show. So it got me thinking about dragons. So this week, I want to quiz you guys on dragons in pop culture. Okay? And so if either one of you knows the answer, just go ahead and say it. Okay? And the one with the most correct answers at the end will win a prize. And in the spirit of Game of Thrones... You know, with all the death and everything in it. And in the immortal words of Dr. Johnny Fever from WKRP, if you get the most answers right, you don't have to die. So how about that? Okay, <laughs> so here goes. First question. In the 1996 film Dragonheart, Sean Connery voiced the dragon. But who played the lead role of Bowen? Keith Ledger? No, no, no. It was uh, Dennis Quaid. Yes, man. Very good. What am I thinking of? That was a different. You're thinking of Aragon. Was. No, that wasn't him either. No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, guys, Dragon's Lair, one of my favorite video games of all time. What was the name of the dragon that you have to slay at the end in order to save Princess Daphne? What was the dragon's name? Anybody? Oh, you asked me this on a previous podcast, and I couldn't believe I didn't get it right. I got nothing. It was, it was I know it's Dirk the Daring. It was, the dragon's name was, no, I don't know. It's Singe. 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 No, I wouldn't have got that. Okay, this 1977 Walt Disney film featured a mix of live action and animation and told the story of an orphan boy and his magical dragon and featured actors such as Jim Backus, Mickey Rooney, and Shelley Winters. Can you name the movie? Pete's Dragon. Oh, very good. Gay Ben, got it. Okay, 1981. We're moving on. 1981 movie featured Ali McBeal's Peter McNichol, and he played a young wizarding apprentice who's sent to kill a dragon who's been devouring girls from a nearby kingdom. Can you name the movie? <laughs> this is not no, my I, No, I cannot. <laughs> you guys, uh, Dragon Slayer. You guys don't know that movie? No. Oh, man, it's really good. You should go back and watch it. Okay, you guys mentioned earlier you like reading the novels of Game of Thrones. So how about The Hobbit? In The Hobbit, the dragon is Smog. We all know that, right? And he obviously took over the treasure from the dwarves, right? You know, obviously driving the story of the dwarves and Bilbo Baggins, and they had to go and face Smog. But it was not the dwarves that defeated Smog. Gentlemen, 
Can you name the character that killed Smog in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit? Who killed Smog? Was it it not Bilbo Baggins? No. Then I have no idea. He did it with an arrow. Lake Town? No. It was Bard. Bard shot him. I could picture picture the actor, but I couldn't think of his name. Okay, what folk group originally recorded the song Puff the Magic Dragon all the way back in 1963? Peter, Paul, and Mary. Oh, very good, caveman. You got it. <laughs> all right, uh, here, here's one here. Rayquaza, Giratina, Dragonite, Palkia, and Dialga are all dragons found in this video game. Double dragon. No. Nate, any guesses? I I can't think of a dragon game, man. Man, where's Yancey when we need him? It's Pokemon. Yeah. And we are we are totally getting him back on and playing Pokemon or drug again. That was always fun. Okay. <laughs> this dragon arch enemy of Godzilla sported three heads, two tails, no arms, and first appeared in his self titled film from nineteen sixty four. Gentlemen, can you name him? No, I cannot. Nate? Uh, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue, but I cannot <laughs> think of it. It's Ghidorah. I would also accept it King Ghidorah or Ghidra. Ghidra would be okay. Awesome to be settled. No, okay. I lied. <laughs> All right. Okay, Ben, this one's for you. Okay, my friend? Okay. Comic book. This comic book dragon first appeared in Marvel's Strange Tales number 89 in back in 1961. And he went on to make appearances in Iron Man, Thor, Hulk... Justice yep. League of America and the Avengers. Can you name the dragon that made recurring appearances in Marvel Comics over the years? Yes, I can. It's it, Fing Fang Foom. Very good. It is Fing Fang Foom. Congratulations, Caveman. Very good. Caveman, you did uh, you did pretty My good. Super nerd cred, man. Woo! Yeah. I talked about comic books and Dungeons and Dragons on this podcast. Not bad. Not, so, Caveman, congratulations. You got uh, four correct. Uh, Nate. You came up empty on this one. I'm sorry, my I'm friend. I'm not surprised at all. It was a tough one. Sorry, Nate. You know, a tough one. Tough one, Dragons in, uh, in pop culture. Uh, Nate, you want to just remind everybody uh, where we can find you online and what you got going on over at NastyCast? Yeah, man. I am on Twitter at Nathan Dawkin. Pretty uh, easy to find that, D-O-K-K-E-N. And yeah, all my fantasy baseball work can be found at Fantrax HQ. And I pretty much link to it all from, from Twitter there. And, you know, maybe I'll still, uh, I, I tend to drunkenly rewatch Game of Thrones episodes and tweet about it. So maybe I'll still do that from time to time if you're listening to this show and want to follow me for that purpose rather than fantasy baseball. But uh, it, was, it was a great time talking about the show with you guys tonight. Very cathartic for me, especially hearing all your takes about, um, you know, having trouble with a lot of the criticism yourselves. I know that that uh, creeped into my brain a little more than I wish it had, but that's what we're left with. And I still love the show very much. Still love the finale, and I'm still going to go back and rewatch it from episode one as soon as I can. Yeah, me too. I don't understand why people criticize it. I thought it was a great show. Nate, thanks a lot for coming on. I really appreciate it. Anytime you want me to come back and talk 80s movies with you over on the Nasty Cast, let me know. I'll be glad to, uh, to come back there and join you and Van again. That was great. Derek, really appreciate, uh, you know, obviously everything that you do every week. And we are going to get next week to watch The Full Monty, which is your film that you nominated. So we're going to watch that next week. And uh, we'll see if I like that one. I mean, it's from the 90s, right? So... It was from the 90s, and it was nominated for Best Picture Oscar. So hopefully that 
put you in the right mindset before you watch it. One last thing before we take off, Chris. Yeah, At the of course. start of the episode, I was mm-hmm. telling you about a documentary about game show hosts. Yes. It was called Game Changers. Game so Changers. So anyone who's looking for it, it's called down. Game yeah. Changers. So. Very good. I'm going to have like a, give it a look. Like I say, I watched that other one. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I love game shows. So uh, you'll find Derek on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. You'll find me on Twitter at C McBrien. And popcozierworld.com is our website. Until next time, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 